The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 844 for Monday, November 16th, 2020. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in the questions, you send in the tips, you send in the cool stuff found. We answer the questions, we share the tips, we share the cool stuff found, we share some cool stuff found of our own. The goal being each and every time we get together, all of us, you, me, him, everybody, we all learn at least five new things. Sponsors for this episode include mintmobile.com slash MGG, nebbia.com slash MGG with code nebbia, and lino.com slash MGG, where you can get 100 bucks in credit. So we're going to check all of this out. We'll have more details about each of those later in the episode. Of course, for now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is... John F. Braun. All right, John F. Braun. So lots of stuff this week, the last <sighs> week, lots of stuff to talk about. Obviously, we we spoke about the <laughs> Apple Silicon machines, the M1 machines that uh, that came out uh, or were announced Tuesday. Uh, we have the new phones, uh, the, the, the mini and max phones have started arriving in people's hands, including ours. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, of course, we've got lots of questions and... Big Sur was released for everyone to have. So we will talk about that. In fact, let's do that. Let's start. And we might have something else too. I haven't gotten clearance for this other special thing. So there might be yet another special episode if we don't get to put it in this one. Promising us. I'm promising you it will come. Uh, but for, for now, Matthew starts us off with a question about Big Sur. He said, um, I've noticed that several apps and blogs are recommending waiting to upgrade to Big Sur for several subsequent releases slash months. What do you guys think about this? So, you know, it, the general advice applies. If you are conservative or truly have like mission critical work that must be done, and especially if you don't have a backup Mac, then I think waiting to upgrade a major operating system uh, it, it, it at any year is good practice. It's just how it goes. Like I, I said last week, and I've said many times, this studio machine, I'm usually about six months behind. Um, lately, that has like, I think I would have been okay with Catalina if I had done it right on day one, but I had no reason to, to dive into that, right? But Catalina's runs fine on this. Uh, all the software that I have that I use for this show now has been updated with Big Sur compatibility, but you know, I'm not in any rush, but every other machine I have already has Big Sur on it. Uh, either had the beta on my laptop or the release on the iMac down in the office. So, um, but, and I've had no issues with those. So I think for normal use stuff, I'm finding Big Sur all good. I've been running the, the developer betas on my laptop for, uh, let's say a month now. And it, it's been fine. One piece of advice I have is keep doing your software updates. So uh, yes, you know, the Mac app store updates for sure. Uh, also, I highly recommend either, and probably both of these things are good for a little while right now, 
but run Mac updater because Mac updater will check every app that you have on your Mac and tell you what apps have updates because there's lots and lots and lots of them coming right now, specifically because of big Sur and, or, you know, the, the new Apple Silicon, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. I have a, some thoughts on that to share to John, but, um, but do that. So running, running Apple software update and Mac app store running Mac updater. We'll put a link in the show notes to it. Fantastic tool. One of our favorites. Uh, reboot your Mac. I would say more frequently than normal. I usually reboot about once a week. I'm now rebooting every couple of days. I find even running Mac updater, you know, maybe I forget to check it or something, but rebooting kind of relaunches all of those apps that launch at startup and they often check for updates when they launch. So you get that notification there. And then a big one that I forgot until last night, John, make sure you're staying on top. If you are someone that has used a package manager like homebrew, make sure you're staying on top of those updates, massive amounts of updates for big Sur. Technically homebrew will tell you that homebrew isn't yet certified for big Sur. It works fine, but all of your packages, many of them have already published updates for big Sur, and you want to go get all of those. So, you know, make sure you got some time the next time you run brew upgrade, because it might take a little while, but, uh, but those four things, and we'll put those, I'll list those in the show notes for you too. But, um, but that's what I've been doing. What, what, how about, what, what are your thoughts on big Sur, John? Should people um, upgrade? I think I'm going to give it a try on my MacBook pro. Oh, you, so you're not running it yet. Um, I mean, I ran the beta. Sure, sure. So of one course. thing, one. So here's one thing that you could try just to see what would happen, and it prepared me for you know what I'll have to wrestle with. Um, but maybe clone whatever machine you want to upgrade, and then apply the Big Sur update to the clone and see what breaks. You know, so. Well, you suggested you know make a backup, backup, yeah, backup, oh, backup. You, yeah, 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 backup, backup. So, right, right, <laughs> for sure. Yes. Um, the thing that. I predict, and you should have gotten these extensions. I got screenshots of them, but um, the things that you'll probably have issues with are things that are identified as legacy system extensions. And I actually got some snapshots here. So on this machine, it warned me that Kensington, because I have an expert mouse, um, objective development, which is little snitch and Logitech stuff um, may not work. So actually I should go go to all well i went to um uh little snitch has a, a compatible update so mm -hmm. that's good so i, I just got to download that um and then kensington and logitech i just got to look and see if they have updated uh, uh pref panes yeah um, so the, you, you 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 identified it perfectly right because the types of system extensions not all system extensions are deprecated in or disabled, I should say, in Big Sur, there are two types that are one for networking, the second for USB human interface stuff. Those are the ones that Apple mm -hmm. first put on the list of you, you got to fix these and not do them this way anymore. Um, the drive like disk related extensions are still OK. They're not OK forever, but they are still OK now. So, uh, you know, if you're running things like software or things like that, no problem. You know, that that's, that's going to, that kind of thing is going to be fine, but yeah, your USB devices, your networking stuff, absolutely has to be updated or it won't, it, it'll be blocked. So, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I've been, I've been quite 
uh, happy with how smooth the upgrade went. As always, I did the upgrade to my iMac in the office without being in the office. Uh, my favorite example of that was when I was in my doctor's office, I think four years ago with a broken arm or something and, and updated to whatever the OS of, at the time was over a VPN or I triggered the update. But this I this I just did from the house. I don't like sitting in front of my computer while it's doing updates. Um, Longtime listeners might have figured out that I'm an impatient cat. So uh, so I, I queued it up and it ran fine and it's been running fine since. But stay on top of those updates. That's the best advice I can give. If one really, really geeky piece of advice, if you are someone that uses the fish shell F I S H, which you can install with like homebrew or anything like that, it has not been updated since April. I found my CPU usage for fish spiking on both of my machines. Launching a terminal would take forever. So I've uh, begrudgingly converted all three of my daily use machines over to ZSH and shells now work fine. What I found interesting was that how many apps wind up launching through the shell, like Bartender, at least Bartender 4, which is the version that you would need for uh, for Big Sur, runs inside, like it runs a shell process to do part of whatever it does. And so Bartender would say it was taking like 100% of the CPU or something. I was like, what is this? And when I finally dug in, it was Fish that was taking it the shell that I was running. And so I changed over to ZSH. I had to reboot the machine so that bartender would relaunch and everything would be fine. And now it's totally, totally fine. So uh, hopefully they will update the fish shell, but I, I was able to migrate most everything into ZSH. I found, um, this is super geeky, but um, what is the ZSH thing that I found? Oh, my ZSH John is a great way it, it's like a, a series of of terminal scripts i'll say that just makes customizing your shell super easy so uh definitely a, a a hidden little cool stuff found here an unintentional cool stuff found called oh my zsh and i'll i'll put a link to it in the show notes but uh but if you're using zsh and you wanted things like the fish shell it brings quite a bit of that functionality and there's plugins that you can do so like fishes auto completion and things like that are totally, uh, totally doable inside ZSH in in their ways. What's it? ZSH dash auto completer auto suggestion. Sorry, yeah, I'll put a um, I'll put a link to ZSH auto suggestions in there too. Yeah, so uh, that way you get the fish like auto suggestions inside ZSH shell. And I know we just got super geeky, but the name of the show, folks, is Mac Geek Gab. We afford ourselves the luxury to be geeks. Do you still use ZSH as your shell, John? <sighs> I have no idea. Okay, so ZSH is the default shell. I, I want to say starting with Catalina. Um, someone in the chat room at live.macgeekgab.com will correct me. I hope. But, uh, but yeah, you can. Uh, no, at least on this machine, I'm running Bash. Okay, because, right, because you you haven't started that machine fresh since before that's Catalina. Weird. When I go into the terminal, it says the default interactive shell is now ZSH, but but I did a PS and it says I'm running Bash, so. You can check by going to the terminal and just type um, the word finger space, whatever your short username is on my machines, that's Dave, 
but yours might be JF Braun or whatever you use as your short username. And I, if I do finger Dave, I can see that my shell has been SH ZSH. Sorry, not SH. <laughs> no worries. Um, but you're probably running bash. Probably. Let's see. Oh yeah. Login. John F. Braun, name John F. Braun, directory, and shell. Bash, yeah. So I'm yeah. running bash. Yeah, okay. So you can change that with a chsh command in the terminal if you, yeah. uh, if you want yeah, to do that. Yeah, it says that right here. Yeah. So. Well, I was just telling everybody else. Not every, we, No one else but you can see your screen. So I figured for the benefit of the mm -hmm. tens of thousands of people listening, we, chsh is yeah. how you change your shell in, uh, mm -hmm. in Unix. Anything more right. on, on that, John? I want to I want to go to a question actually that came in just this morning about cloning on Big Sur because that is one thing that's a little bit weird. And listener John said Yeah, uh, I got an email from uh some of you may have gotten an email, which I, I have in my inbox somewhere, but yeah, we got an in uh, uh email from Carbon Copy Cloner. That's right. Um explaining uh, I guess you're going to explain. No, go ahead. Take it. If you, I mean, if you, I, I'm, I'm ready to explain it, but if you want it, take it. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, no, go. Okay. So listener John's, just the, the background to it was, he says, I think I may have gotten caught because I upgraded to big Sur, No problems. It went well, but I am unable to clone my boot volume. Now I'm not sure if it's my backup software or what it says. I normally use super duper and I also do time machine backups, which seem to be working correctly so um i haven't seen anything from uh super duper from uh uh, uh from shirt pocket software yet but i'm looking to see if they have anything about big sur and i don't see it on their web page but as john you pointed out there is a note from bombic software who makes carbon copy cloner saying as of last week that Mac OS. So the issue is that the way Apple's new signed system volume works, it was no longer possible to copy the Mac OS system volume using normal system calls. And they dealt with it with Catalina by doing some other things, but that doesn't work on big Sur. So the only way to make your backup disk bootable was to install Big Sur directly onto your backup disk because that was the only way to touch the system volume there. However, macOS 11.0.1, which is what was released last week as the first public release of Big Sur, uh, resolves some of, according to Carbon Copy Cloner, the problems in this utility that Apple provides and Carbon Copy Cloner, as of this recording, 5.1.23 is currently available for beta testing and includes support for making bootable clones on Big Sur. So it is being fixed both by Apple and by at least, you know, I'm guessing Dave Nanian over at, at ShirtPocket will also, um, you know, incorporate these changes. Obviously, it's part of what his software does. So. Uh, I think that's probably coming around. My guess is he's probably got something in beta too. So there you go. Uh, we got a link to the carbon copy cloner thing, which will get you to their beta page and, uh, and all of that. So yes, funny little problems though. These are the kinds of things that happen with, uh, you know, with under the hood changes, software changes. So 
Mm-hmm. Have you have you successfully? Oh, you aren't. You still aren't running Big Sur. So never mind. I will. <laughs> I will. I have not installed this beta version yet. I just saw this come in this morning. So I need to do this in the office. Otherwise, it's not going to work. All right. Um, we uh, we had speaking a speaking of Big Sur or down trying to download it. Yeah. Well, it, but it got bigger than this, right? So on. Yeah. Yeah. It, Thursday afternoon was an interesting thing. And we got a note from from Ralph, uh, who it, I'll read it just so that if you experienced any of these things, it might catch your attention. He says, uh, shortly after noon on Thursday, so noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, yeah. He says, my Mac went into a tailspin, slow, no response, lots of beach balls, failed, incomplete app d- updates, inability to start apps. Attempted several reboots, initiated many force quits, checked activity monitor for road processes, a mystery which seemed to resolve itself about two hours later. And that is true. John and I experienced this. In fact, we experienced it right as we were supposed to start recording a thing uh, that the segment that may or may not be included in this episode. But uh, but yes, and. I I dug into it. Many people, many people much smarter than us dug into it. Um, I wrote a piece over at TMO that, that sort of pulls together what happened, but yeah, I think you're right, John, that the demand for big Sur catalyzed uh, some sort of system wide failures at Apple. And one of the mm-hmm. servers that went down is Apple's OCSP server, which doesn't sound like a big deal at all. Until you stop and realize that the OCSP server is responsible for authenticating certificates that app developers have to bake into their apps in order to be, uh, you know, Mac compliant. And when a when the Mac, so when you when you launch an app on your Mac, and and there's a lot of people screaming privacy concerns about this, and and perhaps rightly so. We'll sidestep those now just to talk about the technical stuff. When you launch an app on your Mac. If your Mac is connected to the internet, it checks the certificate, the security certificate in the app and compares it or sends out a request to Apple's OCSP server to say, hey, is this cert still valid? Uh, And the Apple server replies very quickly and says, yep, you're good to go. It then caches that response. So uh, if you had launched an app prior, then it might not have had to check. But if you saw any problems and rebooted your machine, those caches were wiped out. And it wasn't that if Apple's server had simply been denying requests, it would have been fine because when the request is denied, the system says, well, let's just go with whatever the last answer was. We got no matter when that was, even if it's older than we prefer. Right. And it would just plow forward. But Apple server wasn't denying the requests. It wasn't answering them or it was answering them, but very, very slowly. And that is what caused all of these problems because apps couldn't launch or couldn't finish launching is more the right thing. Now, I'm hoping Apple's engineers stayed up all night on Thursday or hopefully they didn't have to stay up all night, but I'm hoping they fixed this problem or at least came up with a a move forward path that fixes this problem. Right. You know, the thing is, there used to be there used to be something in the OS Dave where you could have gotten around this if you knew where to look. Okay. Okay. So at some point, um, though it's no longer there, keychain access 
Why keychain access? Well, keychain access lets you see lots of things, passwords, but it also lets you see certificates. And there used to be a setting in keychain access where you could configure both CRL, which is the older uh, certificate revocation list. Okay. Uh, and you could also configure OCSP, which I think is online certificate status protocol. The thing is, done. they had settings where you could say always, I think best effort and never. Um, but at some point, I think Apple decided, you know what? We're not going to give the user the ability to set that. We're just going to always um, right. check using one or one or the other. Right. Yeah. If, if, cause that's where I looked, I'm like, well, what if I, or I thought after the fact, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could have solved the problem. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I'm guessing, yeah, they're going to reconfigure their <laughs> networking code to, uh, not be so, uh, insistent. Well, I guess is, so I see two ways of solving this problem that still maintains this type of security. Again, there are other security concerns, namely that Apple can know where you were and what app you launched at what time. That's a whole other thing that Apple's going to have to wrestle with now um, and probably should have wrestled with in the past to figure out how to obscure that so that they aren't even in a position to be able to track that data. I'm assuming they don't track it, but that doesn't mean that they that they couldn't. And that's more the, the point. But th I think there are two ways to do this. Number one is to shorten the timeout in Mac OS. Like it seemed like it was waiting forever. If you waited long enough, it would have timed out and your apps would have launched. So that, you know, it, I, it felt like to me that the timeout was in the range of minutes. I think it should be mm -hmm. about 10 seconds and if you don't get an answer, plow forward or or cache or, or parallelize the thing. Right. And wait for an answer. But let the app launch. And then if there's a problem, we'll alert the user. But don't make the user sit there and wait. Right. So I think they should do something like that so that no matter what happens on the server side, this can't happen again and crater a bunch of Macs and send people into a tailspin. The other mm -hmm. thing Apple could do and probably should do, hopefully is doing or has done is separate those OCSP servers out so that they're not running or at least a redundant version of them is not running mm -hmm. on all of the same places that say the big Sur updates are or something else that could crater them and take them down. So hopefully they will do both. They're kind of a big company. Well, that's, they sort of I mean, have a lot of money. I mean, the thing is that's enterprise networking one oh one. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, is use a, use a CDN uh, for your, uh, you know, don't have a single point of failure. And it sounds like they had a single point of failure. Totally. Right. That's the, or the single point of failure. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we don't ever see this again. The workaround was, and, and the folks over at tidbits, I think it was Adam and Josh who figured it out, but it was certainly Adam that posted it. But the workaround was to, and this is, you know, you, t you thought we got geeky talking about shells earlier. Well, just you wait. The workaround was to go in to your shell, edit your Etsy hosts file and point ocsp.apple.com at something that would fail, preferably 0.0.0.0, some IP address that doesn't have an OCSP mm -hmm. server and would deny the request immediately. And then boom, you're done. You know, it would, it, mm -hmm. all your apps would have launched freely by then. So so, yeah. So there you go. Um, all right. 
Let's, uh, are we good on that one? Can we plow forward? I have, there's some mm-hmm. M1 questions. Yep. And then the good news is we have approval to, to oh, share yeah. the thing that we did on Thursday afternoon. So I want to do that too, because it's very important Thunderbolt information coming to you and it's going to blow your minds just like it blew ours. Mm-hmm. All right. But, uh, not but, and first, we have a couple of things. So let's talk about the M1s. The new Apple chips. I know we we had a long conversation about those on Tuesday, and that was so that we could have these questions and give some context for them. Listener Russell says, uh, I watched your recap of the announcement, and uh, uh, he said, uh, wait, where are we here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Uh, he said, I think the graphs they were showing at the start of the presentation answer your questions about the CPU. He says, it seems like the air is limited to 10 watts. 10 watts is the thermal envelope of the MacBook Air. And he went on to speculate how the that was the, the thing that would separate the performance of the Air from the performance of the Pro. I don't want to do a whole lot of speculation on this because hopefully in the next week we will have honest-to-goodness answers about the performance of the M1 in the Pro versus the Air versus the Mac Mini. But we are starting to get those already by way of Geekbench results. Geekbench's browser saves your test results uh, if you let it. And sure enough, there are some uh, Apple Silicon tests there in the Geekbench browser. In fact, there have been Apple Silicon tests in the Geekbench browser for a very long time. Most of them, though, were made with the ADP 3,2 system, which is the developer kit. Uh, and the developer kit, just for, for reference scores, uh, 47, 4,800 on the multi-core score in this. This week, though, and this changes by the hour because these machines are out there and people are running Geekbench on them, presumably developers and reviewers. Uh, but the MacBook Pro 17 comma one, the MacBook Air 10 comma one, and I believe it's the Mac mini nine comma one. Yes. All have this M1 chip in them. And you can look if you do the right search in Geekbench, which we will put in the show notes. And for those of you watching along live, I will also put it in the chat room at live.macgeekgab.com. But if you look, the multi-core scores for all three of these basically exactly the same. I mean, every score is going to be off a little bit, even on your same machine running it again, you will see slight variations, but these are all within a few percentage points of each other. And they basically clock in at about 7,600 on the multi-core. Now this is Geekbench running natively on these machines on the M1. Geekbench was updated to support Apple Silicon. Uh, So this is native scores, 7,600 for all of them. MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, Mac Mini. They all come in the same. Um, for a point of reference, John, you're, you got the, the, the i7 MacBook Pro 16-inch, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that clocks in at about 6,800, 6,900. So these are about 10% faster, at least in terms of multi-core CPU scores, than the top-end 16-inch MacBook Pro. So just to put that in reference, that's five times faster then my 2018 air, uh, you know, and you can do all the other math there. Geekbench has all of those. You can have fun searching things, but these CPUs run fast and they all run at the same speed. Now 
Why is there a fan in the MacBook Pro? I don't know. I think uh, th there's two reasons for it, potentially. One is that they used the same structure and chose to just leave the fan there. Uh, although they took it out of the air, but the air is the number one selling Mac. So it would make sense. They spent a little more time on the air in this round than they did the pro. Uh, number two is that perhaps there is some thermal corner. And when the e when the CPU hits it, the pro can kick in the fan and run faster for longer and the air cannot. And so it has to slow down the CPU to manage heat. Either of those things could be true. Again, we will find out this week as these machines get into our hands. So I think we'll we'll leave it at that. What do you what do you think about that, John? Um, I'd like to get a data sheet on the M1. You will not. <laughs> There's a lot of things we don't know. That's the this is the problem, right? Because Intel chips, they Intel publishes the data sheets because they sell the chips. Um, and they also mm. want to convince their um their partners by way of their customers to use their new chips. Well, Apple has one customer and it's called Apple. And so that's, <laughs> that's how it goes. Yeah. But I mean, Apple, I mean, you know, they're making this chip. I'm wondering if they ever considered maybe selling this chip to someone who's not Apple. Maybe, but like Intel. I mean, you know, they, they got a fab, they're, they're making them. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I don't see that happening. I don't see Apple becoming yeah, a chip either. company for others. I, I, I think Apple does what Apple does. Right. right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that's kind of my, I don't know. That's my thought on it. All right. We, um. We'll find out. It'll be it's it's going to be it's very interesting. Like I said, there's a lot of speculation right now about all of this and we will um, we will learn and then we will share because it's what we do. There was one other thing about the M1, right, John? You had a question from. Oh, yeah. Listener, John. So uh, John had a comment here. So um, quick question about the new M1 system on a chip. Since the DRAM is actually in the system on a chip. That means that the end user cannot add more DRAM to the system, correct? If so, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I tend to run a lot of virtual machines, so I need a lot of DRAM. According to Apple's store, 16 gigs is the max. This really isn't enough if you are running multiple virtual machines. Apple is slowly making their systems completely user unupgradable. Well, yeah, that, that's happened already. <laughs> yeah, right. It's already there. Yeah. Well, not with the yeah. mini, though, um, right? The mini was user upgradable. Uh, the one I have is yes. And right. I think the iMac still, uh, as far as Ram is concerned, uh, the Intel versions. Correct. But, but not, not the M1 version. The M1 mini is, is, uh, not user upgradable. Um, so anyways, um, so he says, I have an old 2009 iMac with 24 gigs of Ram and I tend to run out of memory with it because of that. I will seriously have to think about remaining in the Mac environment or moving over to Linux. I really wish they would come out with the consumer version of the Mac Pro that would still be fuller, you fully user customizable. Um, so uh, I had high hopes for uh, Apple Silicon, but now I'm definitely in a quandary and would appreciate your thoughts. And at least my thought, Dave, was that I agree with his assessment. Um, 
so yeah, uh, all, all the spec sheets, uh, there's nothing greater than uh, 16 gigs of RAM. Um, and as I mentioned, it's not a good sign that, you know, they kind of went backwards with the mini in that the, my current mini, I can actually upgrade the memory if I want to. Um, but the M1 mini, you can't. Right. Uh, but I don't know if we have enough information at this point, Dave, because we don't have the aforementioned spec sheet. <laughs> To conclude that 16 gigs is the maximum RAM that the M1 can address. Uh, if so, to me, that seems kind of short-sighted. Uh, while that's enough RAM for most people, he, you know, identified applications that uh, 16 gigs is not enough. Um, my speculation, Dave, is that, um, and actually I think um, uh, Gruber also said this in, uh, in his assessment here, there may be a M2 coming out mm -hmm. soon and that the machines that they didn't already upgrade um, may have a chip that can address more memory because, but I, I, yeah, again, I still love this spec sheet because I, I can't imagine they would make a processor where it, it, you know, I mean, a modern processor can address, you know, Oh yeah. More than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly, <laughs> you know, like we said on Tuesday, I think this is the memory controller from the iPad pro, you know, being baked mm -hmm. in together. I, I think that's just, this is, this is what we get. And it's really, really important for us to remember that in Apple's eyes, regardless of how we interpret these things in Apple's eyes, I think it's fair to say that the air, the low end MacBook pro, which is what this one is or what this one replaces and the mini are entry level machines for the masses, right? For the general mm -hmm. public. The, yes, this computer has the name. One of these computers has the name pro on it, but it has never been a pro, right? The low end MacBook mm -hmm. pro has always been, would you like an air with a touch bar, sir? You know, and if the answer mm -hmm. is yes, then buy that one. You know, it's $200 more, $100 more, whatever it's been, you know, and, and Apple's gone sort of, you know, oddly navigated this path. It's always been a question. This is not a question that's new as of this last week. We've always been asking, like, what's the real difference between the Air and the low end pro? And sometimes sometimes there's a gap and then the Air fills it in. And then, you know, there's this game of leapfrog. So that's exactly what we're seeing here. We are not seeing any computers that Apple sees as high end uh you know even even an iMac which we could have an argument about where does that fit in versus the iMac Pro and you know all of that but you know none of those machines are are on Apple silicon yet so i think you're right there is some m2 thing i also again we could we could you know spin yarn about this all day but i think it's worth remembering that it's not just the DRAM that's moved into the system on a chip. The SSD controller has also moved into the system on a chip. So the whole line between RAM and virtual memory slash swap space really starts to get a little more blurred when you've got a super fast SSD controller that's talking directly to the chip system and not having to go through an external bus or a bus that's external to that. Right. So, so, I mean, I know there's a difference there. There, the line is not blurred. Here's DRAM. Here's the SSD, right? There's no question there, but in terms of what it means for performance, when something has to shift from DRAM to SSD to be, you know, virtualized and make room in DRAM, 
I, like, again, we will find out, but this is a whole or, different thing. Go ahead. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm curious if the various, um, uh, virtualization, um, technologies out there. What if they ask for more than 16? Will they get it? And then the, and the OS is smart enough to make part of it swap and part of it not, and that you won't really notice because you know what I'm saying? That's happening already. I mean, you could, you could set up a VM, uh, and to have more Ram than you have physical Ram and it'll just deal. It's sometimes oh, better than okay. others. I've, I've I've never actually tried that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, all right. So maybe if you do try this on the M1 and ask for more than physical, more physical memory than is there, it'll just figure it out. Yeah. We need an emulation engine for the M1 first. Then I don't think those yet mm -hmm, quite mm -hmm. exist, at least not for us to be able to use. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right, good, fun. All right. So uh, I want to share this Thunderbolt segment with you. We will give you a little bit of prep on what exactly that is. Uh, but uh, there's lots of other stuff to talk about too. So the next thing that I want to do here, John, is I want to talk about our sponsors, if that works for you. Excellent. All right. So this holiday season, you want the best deal in wireless and you know where you're going to find that? Mint Mobile. Because right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you get another three months for free. This is amazing. They were already like the best prices, and now they're twice the best. I, as the first company to sell their premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you safely order from home and maximize your savings. And the plans start at just 15 bucks a month. As you know, John and I have both been using Mint Mobile since long before this holiday deal. And I have to say, this is a great time to switch. This is great. Three months, get three months. I mean, boy, they make it easy. I guess that's good. You know what? It's 2020. We deserve something easy like this. So thanks to Mint Mobile for doing that, right? Of course, all their plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Of course, you know, your new iPhones 12 will all work with these. It's all good. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile's got you covered. Seven-day money-back guarantee. So for a limited time, buy any three-month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com slash MGG. That's mintmobile.com slash MGG. you got to use our link to cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode. You know what's fun? Setting up a server. You know what's more fun? Setting up a server when you know that the nitty-gritty hard stuff is going to be handled by somebody else. And that's where our next sponsor, Linode, comes in. Because when you visit linode.com slash MGG, you get to set up a server for yourself to do whatever you need it to do. And the cool part is they have like an app store. They call it their marketplace. But this is where it gets really great because if you want to set up, let's say WordPress or Ruby on Rails or OpenVPN or Percona for a database, you want to set up a WireGuard VPN, you want to set up Minecraft, you just click the button, answer some questions, and you're good to go. 
This is the beauty of the way Linode works. You know what else is beautiful? Linode is going to give you $100 in free credit just for being a listener of this show. Now, you got to visit the link that I already mentioned, Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash M-G-G to take advantage of that. Go do it now. Give yourself something to fun to do over the holidays here. Something good to set up to get your business going good for next year. All there at Linode.com slash M-G-G. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. I've talked about how much I love my Nebbia by Moen shower, and I won't stop talking about it because <laughs> this thing's amazing. It is so luscious showering in there. And because the Nebbia by Moen, it atomizes the water so that it heats up the environment of your shower, right? It's not just, you know, the water aiming straight at your head. But it, because it's doing this atomization of the water, it's just sort of going everywhere. But it's still really strong, like good rinse factor. My wife finds this amazing. She really loves it. And what's even better is there's a wand that you can get with it, too. And you can position the wand to be like aimed like at your middle back so that you get this 360-degree thing going on. You know Tim Cook was Nebbia's first investor? They were self-funded up until that point. Very cool stuff. They know what they're doing, and you save water while you're doing it. You know what else you get to save? You get to save a little money. You get 15% off site-wide right now for the first 100 listeners of this show to use code MGG. That's right, Mac Geekab, MGG. These codes are going fast. Your listening brethren are using them. Please, you don't want to miss this deal. So go to nebbia.com slash MGG, take a look at everything, and use coupon code MGG when checking out one last time. That's nebbia.com slash MGG, and our thanks to Nebbia for creating Nebbia by Moen and for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Well, so... We mentioned Thursday's problems where there were glitches. And we mentioned that you and I got together right at the moment that these problems began. Well, it wasn't just the two of us. We had Larry O'Connor uh, scheduled and to record a, a short video segment that we're about to show you here because we needed to get to the bottom of Thunderbolt, specifically Thunderbolt 4. What does it mean? What doesn't it mean? What matters about Thunderbolt to us Mac users? What doesn't matter to Thunderbolt 4 about us, for us Mac users? Why is it a big deal? Why did Apple make it so nebulous on their, their M1 spec sheet that it says Thunderbolt slash USB 4, but then in the specs list Thunderbolt 3 and USB 3? Like, what does all this mean? There's been lots of stuff going back and forth, and we figured the best person to have answer that question was Larry, because... If they don't understand Thunderbolt, we're all screwed anyway. <laughs> so, and thankfully, we're not because they do. Now, uh, you will get to peek into the worlds of John and I as we uh, different camera angles for us. For those of you that are watching the video and different microphones for us, for those of you that are just listening to the audio because of the problems that we had getting this to work. We couldn't get our normal studio machines and the software that we use to do this to launch because of Apple's OCSP server, because we didn't figure it out at the time because we had scheduled to be with Larry and we didn't want to waste his time. So we did this on a zoom call uh, and it worked out fine. And so, you know, we're happy to include it here. Uh, any, anything else you want to do before we set to set this up, John, before we, uh, before we launch with Larry? Nope. I mean, you know, 
Larry, uh, Larry and his group are the experts as, totally. as far as I'm concerned, because they make Thunderbolt stuff. So right. Who better to ask? Who better to ask? Yeah, it, it, I will. There, there is. We'll talk about it when, when it's finished. So here we go. Without further ado, Larry, thanks for coming on the show to help explain Thunderbolt and Thunderbolt 4, Thunderbolt 3. Of course, this is Larry O'Connor from Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com. It's great to have you back on the show. Yeah, it's been way too long. Thanks for having me. Way too long. Yeah. So Thunderbolt 4, Thunderbolt 3, you guys have a Thunderbolt 4 product. You have lots of Thunderbolt 3 products. Apple has a product this week that's labeled Thunderbolt slash USB 4. Tell us why. I want to know what Thunderbolt 4 is versus Thunderbolt 3. Why we as Mac users either care or don't care. Well, the truth of the matter is a Mac user, there's really not a lot here with Thunderbolt 4. Thunderbolt 4 really applies to PCs. And why it applies to PCs is that, you know, whereas on the Mac, from the very first Macs with Thunderbolt 3, we've had all the capabilities that Thunderbolt has had to offer. This isn't the case in PC Windows land. On a PC, there's a variety of different ways that Thunderbolt could be implemented. And a lot of those did not include all the features and capabilities, you know, display support, you know, the full 40 gigabits of bandwidth, power delivery. Some PCs, you know, that are labeled Thunderbolt 3 even need to have an additional card installed before you can actually connect Thunderbolt 3 devices. Apple, from day one, we got the whole show. We got everything that Thunderbolt could offer. And every Thunderbolt, every Thunderbolt Mac that has this port, it has the this Type C connector. Yeah, yeah, is able to connect with all Thunderbolt three and Thunderbolt four devices, and that's something else that's not going to be the case on the PC. Apple controls the ecosystem, so when we we're looking at Thunderbolt three or Thunderbolt you know, four devices, you know, when Apple issues an OS update, they're able to control you know what features become available on the PC. You don't have that. So whereas it is possible for Thunder, some Thunderbolt 3 PCs to support you know, some of the new features that have been announced with Thunderbolt 4, even though Thunderbolt 4 is really Thunderbolt 3, which we can go back and forth on. It's confusing. I love what Apple did. Not all PCs will ever be able to use Thunderbolt 4 because that is now dependent on individual manufacturers, individual implementations, and what those folks choose to support. Got so it. we've got it really good being on the Mac side. And to really answer your question, because I've taken, I, this, it's every time I try to do this, it's just, it's so simple, but it's so complicated because Intel wanted to call it Thunderbolt 4. Apple made it really simple. They just called it Thunderbolt because Thunderbolt on Mac hasn't changed. Got we it. still have, Thunderbolt is still, everything is fantastic today as it was when it first, when we first had Thunderbolt 3, you know, those 2016 machines. The only thing that we do now have, you know, that they did badge in, under Thunderbolt 4 with peripherals is a new hubbing technology. And this is great. It lets us add more Thunderbolt ports, you know, to an existing Mac. And we waited years to do this. Okay, ODC, so, so yeah. hubbing, hubbing is the thing that, the new thing that we get. Do we, do you know, do we get this with the M1-based Macs that Apple announced uh, last week, this week? depending on when you're listening. This is a new feature of Thunderbolt. 
And it's it's not limited to Thunderbolt 3 or Thunderbolt 4. It's a new Thunderbolt feature that is available for all of us through Mac OS 11. Just like with previous Thunderbolt chipsets and new features, you know, a new update, you know, it's taken a new Apple OS, you know, a new update to the OS, you know, typically enables these features. And now it's for the first time ever with the OWC Thunderbolt Hub and Apple's Mac OS 11 Big Sur that we can add more Thunderbolt ports. So wait a minute, you're telling me that I can take my 2019 iMac that only has two Thunderbolt ports, I can get your hub or someone else's hub. Of course, you're the only only one I know that. Right, yeah, but but in theory, any hub that supports hubbing and- Any Thunderbolt hub, it's gotta be Thunderbolt hub. Not USB, right. And attach that to my 2019 iMac that and and now because I'm running or I will be running Mac OS Big Sur 11, whatever version, however we want to say it, that will give me hubbing not just on the new Macs, but on the old ones too. Correct. That's outstanding. Now, now to be to be clear, so so this actually I just want to verify this, but I'm looking here. So Intel has a data sheet. Um Intel makes the Thunderbolt 4 chip. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, they don't really. It's not a chip anymore. When it, well, here we have two. Well, different they, they mention in their write-up here. They say it's going to be part of Tiger Lake, and then they also mention on this sheet here that there's a. Uh, let me see. Uh, we have Thunderbolt Four, four Controller Eight Thousand. So it looks like there are a couple of ways that they're deploying this. But does it? it isn't it all boiling down to being a piece of Intel technology? Well, Thunderbolt went open source. Intel opened the Thunderbolt standard up last year. Right. Okay. And if you look at the Mac, the new M1 Mac, that's actually you know, the first system you know, with, with, with non-Intel silicon to have Thunderbolt support. Interesting. Okay. But going on, you know, West Thunderbolt 4, you know, Thunderbolt 4 does, and this is the thing, there's no USB 4 peripherals, and Apple is not currently supporting USB 4. But Thunderbolt 4 technically incorporates USB 4, which is also backwards compatible with 3.2 and 3.1, Gen 2, 10 gigabit, and all the way back down to USB 2. So the only thing that's different you know, from Thunderbolt 3 on a PC, from a PC with Thunderbolt 4 is also, well, let me actually, let me take that back. The only thing that's different between a Mac with Thunderbolt 3 and a PC with Thunderbolt 4 is that Thunderbolt 4 also promises that you can use USB 4 devices at full speed. But in terms of Thunderbolt, in terms of Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt capabilities are still the same under so-called Thunderbolt 4 as they have been with Thunderbolt 3. It just means if I buy a PC, which I don't plan to, but if I do buy a PC and it says it has Thunderbolt 4, there's no longer any fine print about exactly what parts of Thunderbolt are there. I see. So Thunderbolt 4 is a marketing term that Intel is using to to do essentially what Apple has done on Macs all the way through, that when you see Thunderbolt 4 on a PC, you know you're getting the full feature set. It won't be certified from Thunderbolt if it Thunderbolt 4 if it doesn't have all the features. Is that the, the right way to say it? That, that's absolute. There's no optionality with Thunderbolt 4 on the PC, whereas there was with Thunderbolt 3. Got it. Apple... And Apple had that optionality, but Apple chose to always include the full implementation. They've always given us everything. And you know, kudos to Apple for doing that with Thunderbolt 3 and keeping that door open so that, like I said, this new hubbing technology, you know, 
the simple OS update. Now, maybe not such a simple OS update, but an OS update, you know, move on to Big Sur, and now you can add more ports for the first time. That's outstanding. Okay, you have explained this better than anyone ever has, and I knew you were the right one to get on here to, to tell us this. So, I do have another question to ask you, though, and it's about cables. Oh, does, I was going to, awesome. Does Thunderbolt 4 finally bring us the one cable to rule them all? It does, absolutely. Thunderbolt 4 cables, again, you know, considered a marketing position. And it's going to be confused between the Mac and the, if, if every PC had done what Apple did, we, wouldn't, we still have Thunderbolt 3. Got it. But the new Thunderbolt 4 cables are absolutely 100% universal. And universal in the sense that whether you connect it, you know, going, it's obviously C to C, but whether sure. it's a USB port you're going off of, whether it's a power brick, whether it's, you know, whether your power adapter is powering your laptop, whether it's a Thunderbolt 3 device, Thunderbolt 4 device, although Thunderbolt 3 and 4 devices technically are all Thunderbolt 3. But to the main point, if it says Thunderbolt 4, whatever the maximum performance, maximum power that that device and that host support working together, that cable will provide. None of this stuff like you have now where some of the longer Thunderbolt 3 cables, you know, are, are, are half speed. Yeah. Or if it's an active Thunderbolt cable, you know, it works great for Thunderbolt, but then it's only USB 2 speeds if they connect it from a USB 2 device, a USB uh, 10G device, or those Type-C cables. And Type-C is actually, I would say USB-C cables are almost kind of a risk out there. Oh, yeah. Obviously, they look the same, but not all Type-C cables are certified to carry power. Right. Which well, and not all of them can carry the same speeds of data as many listeners to this show have found out trying to use their Apple <laughs> cable with a hard drive. Yeah. That is the number one tech support call we get. You know, if it's not a type C cable that they plug in, it's the Apple type C cable. And well, it's an Apple cable. It's great quality. Why is my dock not working? Why is my USB dock not working? You know, let alone a Thunderbolt device. Yeah. It's go, well, yeah, it's, it's up to 100 watts on the cable. The cable's power is safe, but it's only, if you use that to connect a data device or a dock, even our USB 10 port dock, it operates at USB 2. A lot of things don't yep. work over USB 2. That was my disappointment when, you know, when I got the, this new machine, it came with an 85 watt adapter and a cable. And I'm like, oh, well, this does data and power. Well, kind of, as you said, the, the cable that Apple ships does USB 2 but it does full power. It, it'll handle the 85 watts or whatever the the, uh, the adapter. So I eventually found a cable, as as you know, Dave has, I'm sure, that will do full power and full you know uh, full speed. But it was kind of hit and miss because I, I I bought a few cables <laughs> that I had well, to return buy because they wouldn't offer all of the functionality. <laughs> there you go. Larry. Bought them from us, you would have been just fine. <laughs> well, of, of course. Um, yes. But with Thunderbolt 4, if a cable says Thunderbolt 4 on it, we're good to go. It will do all of those things. And should we expect those cables to be like super expensive, middle of the road? Wh wh where are we going to find those when they find them? No, they're going to be they're going to be really reasonable. One meter uh, Thunderbolt 4 cables are going to be in the $20 to $24 range, okay. which, and mind you, this is a cable not just certified for Thunderbolt and 40 up to 40 gigabits of data, but it's also fully certified for the 100 watts of, of, of carrying current. So it's not just somebody saying it's 100 watts. Sure. These are officially certified. All of our cables, including our USB cables that carry power, 
you know, go through actual power certification and have real certificates, you know, for that operation. I mean, they're easy. I mean, it's, we don't just you know, say, oh, well, it should work and go. And I'll be honest, you know, in terms of Apple and, and the data only being USB 2, you know, you know, an Apple cable is always going to carry the, the maximum 100 watts that use anything you plug USB-C into could put out. Right. I'd much rather have an issue with how much data it does than have an issue with a cable that, yeah, sure, can carry all the data, but maybe it's not really designed. It's not been built to properly handle, you know, 60 watts, 85 watts, or 100 watts. And then you plug it into something that, that takes that draw, and it's putting that current through, and you wonder, wow, that cable is getting hot. Now, this is something we, you know, we don't have to worry about with Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt cables are certified through and through. And Thunderbolt 4 cables, now it's not going to matter. Now, right. Power, USB, Thunderbolt, whatever it is that's C2C, the maximum capability will always be engaged with a Thunderbolt 4 cable. So you can cut all this those other cables up and end you know, cable, you know, those cable nightmares. All right. So you you have delivered it. it not only fantastic news, but easy to understand news for us. And that's the key with all of this. I really want to thank you for coming on the show, Larry. This has been super enlightening. And I, I really, I can't imagine a better person to have explained this all to us. In fact, I don't know where they would, where I would find them. So thanks for agreeing to do this, man. <laughs> no, I appreciate you doing it. I mean, as you, I hope, you know, I mean, we have the largest selection of Thunderball solutions, the best Thunderball solutions on the planet. If I couldn't talk about this, there'd be something really seriously wrong here, but you know, this is, this is our backyard. This is our space. And, you know, really, you know, been thinking about this and, and working on communicating this for a long time. And again, I really so applaud Apple for not coming out and calling it Thunderbolt 4. They call it what it is. Yeah. Thunderbolt with you slash USB 4. And even, even if you look at the specs on the M1 Max, they specifically say Thunderbolt 3. And it's not right. because it's not Thunderbolt 4. It's because Thunderbolt 4 really isn't Thunderbolt 4. Well, there you have it, folks. Larry O'Connor from Otherworld Computing explains Thunderbolt 4 to us. They have this stuff. They've tested it. As Larry mentioned, they're the first vendor, at least, to announce uh, a Thunderbolt hub. I believe we can get them in November. Uh, there was a, a question in the chat room, John, that I wanted to address. <clears throat> we wound up chatting with Larry for a while after this, as you might imagine. And it, they... Uh, Warren in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com says this, if you know, this finally makes the two port argument go away. And that is true. Sort of right. I mean, on a laptop, there are moments where having extra ports portable with you full time are handy. Um, And also so that you're not necessarily having to carry a Thunderbolt hub with you. Right. But also it is important to remember that each, uh, control Thunderbolt controller. And I believe in the four port machines, there are two controllers each with two ports, but it, I, I might have that wrong, especially in these new ones where we don't really know yet. Um, each, each controller, potentially each port, but certainly each controller is limited to 40 gigabits per second of Thunderbolt. Um, so the, whatever you hang, yes, you can hub now with big Sur, uh, but it doesn't magically add bandwidth to the port. So the upstream bandwidth to the port plugged into your Mac is still 40 gigabits per second. So depending on how you're using it, you need to sort of balance that. And that's that's not any different than what we deal with now in terms of, you know, are you going to hang 
your, you know, high speed hard drive off of the same port that you're hanging your, you know, super hoopty monitor that's you got to send a lot of data to, or are you hanging, you know, several hard drives off or whatever that is, it it's still 40 gigabits, you know, in and out of the computer that that could become the, you know, the weakest link in the chain, especially if you start going nuts with, with hubbing. So extra ports still have their place, but for someone like, you know, like me with this 2019 iMac in front of me where, you know, I've got a Thunderbolt audio device. I've got a Thunderbolt hard drive. Well, uh Oh, there's the two things that will end my chains. That's no longer the case. Uh, at least once I'm willing to upgrade this Mac to big Sur. <laughs> We'll see. Maybe Thunderbolt hubbing will be the thing that pushes me there sooner rather than later. So, hmm. yeah. Anymore? So you're right. I just checked on my MacBook Pro, and uh, if you go into the uh, system info, uh, it shows two Thunderbolt ports. Even though the machine has four ports, but yeah, like you said, there's there's two Thunderbolt controllers. Okay. Right. Right. And I think based on the way Apple explained it to me. I think in that machine, it's actually one Intel board that has the two Thunderbolt controllers on it. But I mean, that's just mm -hmm. nitpicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. All right. Well, that's uh, I'm so excited about this. Like Larry blew my mind. I knew most of the stuff that Larry was going to tell us in this when he said that Big Sur mm -hmm. brought hubbing to all Thunderbolt three machines. That, you know, that was like I've been I've been I've been eagerly awaiting approval they, they needed to test it and we, like i said we recorded this mm -hmm. in the moment before that came out so be, no one could download it because of all the problems we mentioned so it's like you gotta wait to publish yeah. i'm like okay we'll wait to publish but i'm really eager to publish larry so yeah, it's interesting that this is something that's enabled by the operating system yeah though yeah well, as he said, they you know, opened. It's, it's, it's like unlocking a hidden feature. I, oh gosh. I don't think it's a hidden feature. I think it's a result of Thunderbolt being opened up and, uh, it, which only happened in the last year. And now oh. software being able to sort of do All more right, or, things. Or, yeah. Or one that you can. Okay. Cause I'm, th I'm thinking back. I mean, this was ages ago, but remember there was an iPod touch that had a Bluetooth chip, but they didn't initially enable it. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, yeah, let's turn on the Bluetooth chip in this device. And, right. And there was much rejoicing. But <laughs> I don't it was essentially hidden until they uh, from what I recall, they they yeah. issued a, you know, iOS update or. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden you you could use the Bluetooth on it. So that's right. Yeah. 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 I remember that. I, I don't based on and, I, you know, now you all know as much as we do, like you you heard the meat of that conversation, obviously. Uh I don't, I, I didn't get the sense that this was some hidden hardware feature. I, I think it was, you know, it, hmm. we call it, they call it hubbing. It, it is more appropriately switching if you want to get truly technical about it. Uh, so I, I think it was more of a, I think it more is a software feature of, okay, we're going to allow this to be able to see down the Thunderbolt chain to this other thing. Here's what we all agreed to do. So. Um, I don't know. I, I, we will find out more. How's that sound? So I think we have some that those were those we've gone through some long tips. Uh, so we've started the show out with the long jams. Now I think we can go to some, mm -hmm. you know, short little pop songs, uh, in by way of quick tips, which is usually how we start the show. So let's go if we can to Adam here. 
And I am vamping because I didn't get this ready during the thing. But Adam says, I don't know if this qualifies as a quick tip, but I just discovered it and I thought it was cool. When updating a whole bunch of apps at once in iOS, you can select one that is waiting to be installed and grayed out by pressing the icon and holding. When you do this, you will be given the option to prioritize the download of that app. He said, is it, a, it is a great, it is great when there's one app waiting to, for download, but you want to use it right away. So this is on either the home screen. It, it is on the home screen uh, or on the app uh, library screen. So it's not in the app store. So you start all your updates. Let's say you have, you know, 50 updates or whatever, start them all. And then either go to the home screen where you see the app uh, with the waiting underneath it or in the app library. Once you see waiting underneath it, press and hold on that. And then you get the option to prioritize download. I don't know how long that's been there. It's new for me uh, and, and helpful. So I used it just the other night. So pretty cool. Huh? Have you, have you tried that one yet, John? No. Okay. It's fun. It's good. Might be helpful for people that are restoring their new phones from iCloud. If you have an app that needs to update, that wouldn't be a bad thing. So, all right. Uh, you want to take us to Lewis's quick tip here, John? Mr. Braun? Mm -hmm. um, Lewis has a quick tip. All right. Um, I've had a Mac issue that was pretty annoying to solve, and I thought I would share. My Mac... Uh, on Big Sur uh, release candidate, had a file in the trash that is five and a half gigs. It is the DMG part of the Mojave installer app. Oddly, the file was in a .trash folder in my iCloud Drive folder. Uh, I'm not going to read the uh, <laughs> directory, but he gives us the directory. Sure. Um, well, library, mobile documents, com, Apple, you follow that path and there's a, there may be a trash folder in there. Um, as you can see, nothing remains, nothing else remains from the package, just the DMG file. So things he tried, rebooting, rebooting in safe mode, rebooting into Catalina, mounting the big Sur drive and trying to delete the file, trying to find the file on iCloud.com. The folder is not shown as expected. Running disk first aid on the BS and BS dash data drives from recovery. And lastly, reboot into recovery mode and try to delete the file from the recovery terminal, which is not obvious. Um, but there is an option to run the terminal in recovery. The last one worked. Of course, I had to use this utility to mount and unlock the data drive. Um, so that's a, that's a good tip for those uh, stubborn files. Um, I'm having one too, Dave, and I don't know what's causing it. Um, so you remember we were, uh, you know, I was wrestling with that uh, PDS service with Evernote. Yeah. Um, and where you put those things, Apple Script or otherwise, is in your home folder, library, PDF services. Right. Here's what's been happening lately, Dave, and I don't know why. So maybe a challenge for somebody. Um, but then when I go to the menu on that machine, uh, the print menu, I see that appear twice. I'm like, well, why is it appearing twice? And so I look in that folder and sure enough, it's in there twice. There's the app itself and then there's a shortcut to it, which is one way of deploying it. But I, Dave, I keep deleting it and it keeps coming back, which really concerns me. So I think that folder, <laughs> when you're at, now that you're saying this, 
I, there's something mm-hmm. going off in my head. So I keep all of those Apple scripts in a, a folder in my, my, uh, well, it's actually my Synology drive folder so that it's whenever I make an update to it, it's synced to all of my Macs. And I have a shortcut pointing to that file in my Synology drive folder. I think there was something about that folder and this is going back ages. So the memories are cloudy and we probably should be playing like, you know, ethereal music or something. But I think there was something about that folder only wanting aliases in it, shortcuts in it. And so maybe Mm. like try moving it out and, you know, delete both. Right. But after having moved it out or copied it out and then Mm. just shortcut back to it and see if it only gives you one, because I dealt with this too. I had two in there for the longest time. And then when I decided to do this sync thing, that went away. So I think there might be something to that. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll redo it. Um, Yeah. Now, the other thing I had happen, Dave, also is, so, you know, with new devices, um, you know, I had to shuffle things around, like getting rid of the backups of my old devices so I could do backups of the new devices sure. with Amazing or or Apple's utility or whatever. Um, and I ran Omni Disk Sweeper to, uh, you know, look uh, at, at some point at what was taking up a lot of space. And one thing that was taking up a lot of space was my iMazing iDevice backups from like long, long ago, apparently at some point, I don't know Mm. if it was a bug or something, but they weren't purging old backups. Normally you can set how many it maintains, five, 10, whatever works for you. I think I have it set at 10. Sure. So I, I deleted that and that was taking up a ton of space. The thing is it was not reflected in my free space. Mm. And I kept, uh, yeah. So I had like, uh, I had like about 300 gigs uh, of space, but I noticed that number was going lower and lower. So I d- decided to delete some stuff and I deleted like a hundred gigs worth of stuff. And it was still showing that I had less and less free space available. At some point, actually tech tool chimed in. So tech tool can, um, among other things, tell you if you're running below a certain threshold of free space. And it was like, Whoa, you only have 90 gigs free. And I'm like, what, why are you deleting the stuff? And I think We've concluded in the past, but another warning for people is that uh, APFS looks to be kind of lazy about actually freeing up the space until it gets like critically low. But here's what worked for me. Uh, Someone submitted this tip a while ago and it worked this time around too, Dave. Um, Bootcamp, (laughs) the uh, the Bootcamp app. Yeah. Uh, Bootcamp installer, I think it's called. Let me. Uh, uh, yeah, it's been so long since. Bootcamp Assistant. Bootcamp Assistant. If there you it is. run Bootcamp yeah. Bootcamp Assistant, I saw it going through things. It was like, yeah, deleting snapshots, and then it was like deleting iCloud cache, whatever something. And I'm like, and eventually, when it was done, I I then again had 300 gigs or so free on my hard drive. So Bootcamp Assistant, for whatever mysterious reason, uh gets the the empties the trash when other things will not or at least cleans out caches and stuff interesting huh did you look in carbon copy cloner to see if it was an old snapshot that needed to be purged out there there were snapshots but they were taking on the order of like megabytes they they weren't taking up gigabytes so it wasn't okay so that wasn't it fascinating 
Huh. Yeah, though that's another... Actually, you bring up a good point, though, is that that's another strategy if you're running low on free space is delete some of your snapshots. Bootcamp assistant. Okay, tell me what you did with bootcamp. I mean, of course, this all is moot because there's no bootcamp you, uh, assistant on... You just run it. Max. Yep. You you just run it and it says, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to set things up here before I try to partition space. And it goes through a number of steps and... Whatever those steps were, you know, one was clearing out snapshots and then yeah. another, you know, the message flew by. I should have taken a snapshot, but it was like clearing iCloud caches or something. Mm. But whatever mm. it did. That would do it. Whatever measures it takes to because, you know, I mean, the, the what it's doing is, hey, you know, I want to make sure you have enough space so you can actually create a boot camp partition. Right. Oh, no, it's smart. It makes sense that it would do all <laughs> these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, fun. All right. Um, I, I, it's, it, we're going to abandon quick tips because we can't do anything quick today. We are, we are in long <laughs> jam mode and it's, no, it's great. So we both uh, had new devices arrive on Friday, John. <sighs> no, you, so you're misleading people because you have a mate, you have a problem with your carrier that you need to leave, but I want to talk about the yes. devices. Uh, so, Let's do this. So we both had iPhone 12 minis arrive on uh, on on Friday, you know, on release day. I, I will share my thoughts, but go. I want to hear you. You you have had the biggest change because you've gone from team home button with an iPhone eight to an iPhone mini uh, iPhone 12 mini with, you know, face ID and full screen and a glory and OLED display, all of that stuff. So. I'm yes. curious, like forget about your carrier for a minute. I don't want to hear, well, I was going to say, I don't want to hear complaints. If you have complaints about the phone, I'm very curious about that. But, um, but let's forget about your carrier for a minute and let's talk about your, um, your phone. So what, what has this transition okay. been like? Um, you know, it's pretty straightforward. So the, uh, the, uh, uh, transition utility, uh, on the two phones is really cool. Uh, basically I had the, uh, you know, I had the 12, I put the eight near it and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, you, you want to, uh, you know, you want, you, you want to migrate this phone over? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So, and it took about an hour to migrate all the data over. Uh, and they warn you about that. Um, so that part was fine. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, the carrier part, but you know, I'll tell you the story later uh but not now um my reaction though is so it's a size that i like um i've already gotten used to you know i was resistant to not having a home button i mean the air kind of prepared me for that because my sure. ipad air new ipad air doesn't have a home button either i have no home buttons anymore <laughs> i've um, lost my home <laughs> well you know i i just always thought it was a, a brilliant way of allowing the user to get to a known state mm-hmm. um now the thing is it did introduce a, a mechanical component which you know especially with past iphones would actually have problems or get all gummed up and stuff so right. i can understand why they want to get rid of it well i don't think your eight was um, a mechanical home button right i think the eight was. Uh, it may not have been but i definitely yeah. had issues with the past phone sure in that the sure. button eventually stopped working right 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 um yeah, it's it, yeah, on the 8 it's it's haptic, but it's yeah, I guess it's it's not really mechanical. Right, right. Well, the haptic part kind of is. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, Fair. um so here's what I like. Um 
I'm, uh, even though the phone itself is physically smaller, I get more screen real estate. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, what else? So that. So, so you like um, this thing. I mean, it like it. it, it I would say I, I like it. I can play, can, you know, um, uh, you know, I can play uh, all my, uh, everything works, uh, which is great. You know, Pokemon and, and, you know, I tried all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's larger, uh, uh, but more screen real estate though. I still think the, the little tab there is, is kind of a hack, but I have more screen real estate. So that's nice. You know, the screen quality is, uh, you know, I can't, oh, you know, it's not like, wow, it's way, it's so much way better, but it, it's pleasing to look at. And, um, now one gripe, I did have one gripe, uh, it'll, it'll come back to me, okay. but, um, so I, I've gone, I'll let you, I'll let you uh, cogitate on that. Um, but I, so I've mm -hmm. gone from the iPhone 11 pro, which was a 5.8 inch screen. Forgive me if I'm off by 0.1 inches on that, uh, to the iPhone 12 pro, which was a 6.1 is a 6.1 inch screen, almost the same form factor as the iPhone 11 pro a little bit bigger though. And the iPhone 11 pro was was an okay size for me. I was not okay. Like the iPhone 10R, that was a little too big for me. Just having in my pocket, having in my hand, even. I mean, I've got big hands. I'm, you know, piano player and all that stuff. I mean, I'm a drummer, but believe it or not, I'm also a piano player. Um, not nearly as good at piano as I am at the drums. Anyway, um, but I just, I, you know, I, it was too big for me. So going from the 10R to the down to the 11 Pro was a welcome. Uh, return because I had the 10, which is the same size as the 11 pro. Uh, and then, but going to the 12 pro was like, okay, like fine. More screen real estate is always good. As long as the trade-off is good and I could deal with it. I, I, like I got used to it, but I needed to check out this mini. I needed to know because in days past the iPhone SE, not the 2020 SE, but the original iPhone SE four years ago was my favorite phone. I, I still have like fond visceral memories of holding and using that phone. It was the phone I wound up taking as my daily driver when we went to Europe uh, with the kids, whatever it was, four and a half years ago, you know, back when we could travel. Remember those days? Uh, and and I, I loved it. And so when they announced the mini, I was like, yeah, I got to try this. And I, I mean, I've only had it for three days. I am not. My family is eagerly awaiting like what's going to happen with the 12 Pro? Who gets it um, at the moment? We don't have any answers for that question, but we will within the next week. And I think we all know which way it's going to go. Um, the, the This 12 mini feels great in my hand. I love the size of it. I've been using it since Friday when it arrived. I have not had any moments where I'm like, oh, dang, I wish the screen was bigger. Like that 5.4 inch screen really is enough for me when I'm using a phone uh, I, you know, I'm sure there will be moments where it's like, Oh, I wish this was a little bigger, but by and large, I, I'm not finding those. It's hard to comment on battery life yet because I, I migrated like you did, John, my 12 pro I set up from scratch because it was time and it was a good thing. Um, but I just migrated that to the 12 mini. So it's still going through the process of like crunching all my photos in the background that, that generally takes a, a couple of days and uses battery more than it would. So I'll have more comments on battery life later, but, mm -hmm. um, but I, I love the size of this thing. My only 
hesitation is that if I had gone from the 10 R to this, I would have absolutely zero hesitation, but I didn't. I went from the 10 R to the 11 pro with its cameras to the 12 pro with its cameras to the 12 mini Mm -hmm. with less cameras and not having a zoom camera. I really want a 12 pro mini is what I want. And I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that there's a 13 pro mini in our uh, future options. But I, I, as long as I can like wrestle myself to deal with the fact that the camera in this is not the camera I would truly want. And more specifically, not the camera I was truly used to, then I, I will stick with this 12 mini. I I'm, I'm very, very, unless something else comes up, unless it turns out battery life is awful or whatever. So, all right. And I want to show you something, Dave. Okay. Um, can you tell what color my phone is? Why? I I know it's blue. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, then you can see through the case that I got a little while ago because I went to one of these virtual uh, shows. So the case was waiting for the phone. Right. But, um, uh, so just let people know, this is the Presidio Perfect Clear for the iPhone 12 mini. I really like clear cases. Mm. And this one's clearer than the one that I had on my eight. Um, and it's truly cleared. I mean, you and I had a debate about this a while ago, but this is truly clear. I mean, you were able to see the color here and it wasn't like diffused or anything. The other one was kind of diffused. So I'll just recommend this case. I mean, the case other than being clear, which lets the beauty of the phone shine through. Uh, let's see the, the feature that I like about this is that it has 13 foot drop protection. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I did drop my eight um, at one point and cracked the corner of the screen because I didn't have one of these cases. Um, so I actually had to pay to get it replaced before I could trade it in. So. All right. So it's and, interesting yeah. that you mentioned that, John, because I, I, I am also uh, testing and enjoying a spec case on my mm-hmm. phone. I have lots of cases to test. So we'll talk about these, the, the, any others in the future. But I am... Uh, I have very similar case. It's the Presidio perfect clear with grips, which I really like. Um, I used the phone for about a day without a case on it and then decided if I don't put a case on it soon, I'm never going to want a case on this thing. So, uh, Mm -hmm. so I, I put the perfect clear with grips on it. And I, I, I mean, I like having the grips, the the grips are definitely the reason to have the, um, the, the case. So, yeah. 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 So that's, uh, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's fun. So I'm okay. I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad that you like this, man. I, I'm, I was curious as to how the transition would, would go. Like I said, I, I've seen lots of other people go through this and most people tend to tend to do just fine with it. And I'm glad to hear that it's been positive for you. Carrier issues. Aside. Yeah. 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 So the only thing I'll mention. Yeah. So just a heads up here, I'm not going to gripe too much, but so I'm, so my old phone I got from Verizon, um, and we have a Verizon company store, uh, in town. Um, the only thing is that they currently, my thought was I would be able to eSIM my Verizon and then I could use a physical SIM for a second carrier because this phone has the capability Verizon at this point was not able to migrate from my physical SIM to an eSIM on the 12, mm. which made me unhappy, but he sure. said he'd pass the request up the chain because 
in the opinion of the rising guy I talked to, everything's going to be eSIM someday. There will be no physical SIMs. Or you, you may have a phone that does two eSIMs. I don't know if Apple currently offers a phone that does that. No, they have. Um, it, in the U.S., it's it's one of each, physical and e. In Europe, it's two physical SIMs. So I, I think we're a ways off from the world of no SIMs. But, but I, I mean... When right. I say a ways off, I now, mean a few years. Yeah. So currently, the only way or the easiest way, other than setting up a new line, which <laughs> um, is moving the SIM from the old phone to the new phone. When I move the SIM from the old phone to the new phone, I immediately got a text message from Verizon saying, hey, um, you better get a 5G SIM. It's like I didn't even think that was a thing that the SIM, that you need a new SIM to enable, but yeah. apparently you do, at least with Verizon. So went to my local Verizon store, they swapped out my SIM, and then I'm having a data-related issue with them that uh, I hope I can work out. Probably so. probably related to my, yeah. It, it, yeah, when, when you get a new SIM, in theory, it should inherit all of the settings from your prior account, um, but that is not- And that did not happen. So the, in, in a nutshell, that's what happened, yeah. is that the data that I had before did not transition over, and actually I'm now in, you have no data mode, and that's right. not right because I had plenty of data left. You need so, to switch. You need to switch to me. Maybe. Yeah, it's time. And I didn't see, and, and I never saw the 5G light up, which is unusual because we have pretty good coverage, at least LTE coverage. So yeah, yeah. I want to see that 5G up there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's fun when you see the 5G and it actually means 5G. So yeah, it's good. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, you know, we have all kinds of questions and tips. I'm, you know, there is one cool stuff found that I want to share, John, because it is relevant to our current discussion. I am a huge fan of tempered glass screen protectors, so much so that I put one on my iPhone 12 mini before I even turned it on, I, I took it out of the box. It had a, a sticker on wow. it. I peeled it off. I put the, the tempered glass screen protector on. Um, I did the same with my iPhone 12 pro. I normally pay about 10 bucks for a three pack of screen protectors. Uh, they break, you know, that's, it's how it goes. Putting them on is a bit of a trick. If you don't trust yourself to line things up, line a site with, you know, your eyes and your hands, it can be frustrating. And so it might be mm -hmm. worth paying a little bit more Belkin ultra glass. It's a $40 thing. So you're paying quite a bit more than you would for the cheap glass that you, you know, buy three packs of on Amazon. However, the Belkin ultra glass, uh, application process is flawless because it has a tray that you put your phone into and then mm -hmm. you flip this, um, the, the glass is stuck to the tray and perfectly aligned with where your phone is about to be. So you, you know, you, you pick the glass up, you put the phone in the tray, you peel the backer off the glass and then you just flap it down and it is in exactly the right spot. And then you, and then you take your phone out and you're done. So that process for some may well be worth the small price premium that you would pay. Uh, so I just, I wanted to throw that out there. There are a lot of companies that make premium glass for uh, the phones. And normally, you know, we don't mention them here because it rarely is it worth the price Delta to buy simply a brand name. 
This is more than a brand name. You were buying an applicator tray with the glass perfectly fit into it. So I was, I was pretty stoked about, mm -hmm. about that. So there you go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, because they have this ceramic technology in the screen. I, well, I've, I've never, I've never felt a need for a screen protector. Mm. Although, like I said, I did drop my phone once. And if I had a screen protector, it wouldn't have right. cracked. Right. But, right. Um, yeah. So yeah, there you go. That's so you get, like double protection. I, I always remember some of those screen, some of those screen protectors, the thing was always getting the air bubbles out. <laughs> so it, it, have you done one of the tempered glass ones? Because the plastic ones were crap. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with those, but the tempered glass oh, okay. bubbles aren't nearly as bad with these. And it's pretty easy to just mm -hmm. like, if there's one near the edge, you just lift up the edge and, and push it out. But the trick mm -hmm. to putting one of these on is to put it on and push first in the middle of the screen and then start mm -hmm. pushing to the edges. Because if you push around the edges, you'll seal the edges and any air that mm -hmm. happened to be there is in the middle so push the middle, push out to the edges, and it it tends to go pretty well. But with the tempered glass, you can lift it off. The only thing is you want to be careful how much airflow is happening around you because dust particles, mm. you don't want to get uh, in yeah. underneath, right? So, yep. Mm. All right, folks. Well, like I said, we have lots of quick tips. We have, uh, you know, I always think about this show in terms of like a, a set list with with the band. And usually we start out with some small little, you know, short little pop songs. I think about it. And then we get into the jams. Today we started out with the jams and then we had like a guest performer jam with us for a little bit. And uh, mm -hmm. and then we tried to go into the pop songs and we got exactly one before we were back into jam mode, uh, which mm -hmm. is great. I love it. <laughs> so sometimes you just roll with the flow. Speaking of the band, I figure we'll bring them in. It's time, John. It's time. It's time. Ah, uh, fun stuff. Yeah. So stoked. Go ahead. Oh, no, I learned something new the other day, which uh, I think was the case on my... Um, I, I'd never seen this before, so I, I have some Samsung uh, Qi chargers. Yeah. Um, and when I put the phone on them, uh, a blue LED lights up. Well, the other day I looked at one. <laughs> I guess I never got to this point before. And it was green. I'm like, why is it green? It knows when the phone is charged to 100%, so it turns oh. green. Uh, yeah, right. Kind of suggests that you uh, you can you can remove your phone now. You're I, good. I That's handy. That's pretty good. I like that. So yeah, I do have to, um, yeah, speaking of chargers, I have to get one of those uh, oddly named MagSafe chargers or, or see what's out there. I, I ordered one of those when I bought my 12 Pro, the MagSafe charger. Mm -hmm. And uh, see, we're trying to end the show and we can't. We just, the jams keep going. Um <laughs> It, the, the I, I like the MagSafe charger. It's it it when you have a case on the phone, if it's a non like MagSafe case, honestly, I think MagSafe is going to be better for cases than it is going to be for chargers. But in, just in terms of what general people will wind up using for it, but um, mm -hmm. but it does charge faster, you know, and so mm -hmm. there is that. Did you get a different logo on your screen when it's charging through a MagSafe charger than? through a regular one. Oh. Yeah, because right. it knows, you know, it's Apple devices. Really, it's just Qi mm -hmm. with alignment like we talked about. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. It, You know, whatevs. It's all good. So um, I'm not gaga over MagSafe yet. Like I said, I, I haven't seen the killer app for it. So maybe I need to get some MagSafe cases. I'm really curious to see what third parties do 
with MagSafe cases. I think they're going to be a little more fringy and innovative uh, than Apple. You know, Apple with cases tends to pretty much play the straight and narrow, which is fine. Like, you know, it, leave it to the third parties yeah. to do the niche stuff. I think so. I saw something out there where they kind of remind you that if you have a leather case, you're probably going to get an indentation from the MagSafe. Uh, mm. Right. Just so you know, I mean, you know, it's leather, right? It's leather, and and you're have you've I got magnets squeezing. Case? Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Leather cases can be nice. I don't it's know. Like, you're, it's like branding it, I guess. <laughs> you're branding. That's all. You're just branding it. What's the problem? <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, I want to. Wonder if you could put like a. Keep going. No, it's fine. That's what. That's whatever. No, I was thinking maybe a create a, a branding. Uh, uh, you know, like a custom-made uh, MagSafe with uh, your brand. Oh. And you'll have it then indented on the back of your phone. Wow, I should patent that. Hold Dude, on. that's a good idea. <laughs> oh. Somebody may be working on that already. You never know. Yeah, here's a leather case. It comes pristine. And then you can, have, you can choose your choice of like four different... Uh, things or talk with our marketing department and put your brand here, right? So I, we could have like a Mac mm -hmm. Geek Cab logo, in, like embossed on the charger, and boom, you put that on your leather yeah. case, and now you are branded a Mac Geek Cab listener. I like this. Nice. This is good. <laughs> Speaking all of right. Mac Geek, right. branded Mac Geek Cab listeners, I want to take a minute and thank all of the premium subscribers whose contributions have come in this week. Of course, MacGeekGab Premium is where you can go if you want to participate in this. It is not mandatory, but we certainly appreciate it, and it is a part of what allows us to do this show. So it is it is necessary, but not for everyone, because we understand that not everyone can participate in this particular way, and that's okay. Uh, so, sending thanks out to Brian in Walton Hills, Daniel in San Diego, Abel in Santa Rosa, Peter in Auburn, Craig from New Lambton, Bob Dr. McLevitis from Austin from Working Smarter for Mac Users, Jim from Myrtle Beach, James from San Antonio, Abdullah from Reisterstown, Joshua from Silver Spring, Thomas from Gardner, Art from Pleasant Lake, Nick from Mount Clemens, Ari from Kensington, John from Laverne, Ron from Paramus, Mikhail from Altadena, or Michael, I'm not sure, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, uh, from Altadena, Philip from Tucson, Tim from Des Moines, Bruce from Pascagoula, Rick from Plano, Bob from Lepesh, Timothy from West Windsor, Timothy from Hendersonville, and Rick from Traverse City. You all rock. Thank you very, very much for doing what you do. Again, you can learn about that at MacGeekCab.com slash premium. I want to say thanks to all of our sponsors, of course, uh, including the three that we mentioned in the show, MintMobile.com slash MGG, Linode.com slash MGG, Nebia.com with coupon code MGG, because that's where it all happens. That's where the magic happens. Go check that out. I, I can't wait to go take another shower. It looks freaking amazing. All right. Uh, I think that's it, John. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions and your tips. Thanks for participating in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com. It's what makes it all happen. We all make it happen together. Really, it's truly. I mean, you know that. The show doesn't happen without you, so thank you. Have fun this week. Be good. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. It's a short list. And, um, well, don't get caught. 
Maynard.